Welcome, welcome, one and all, to another edition of We Ate All the Pies, an amended edition this week. It's going to be a little bit shorter. Um, boy, I, I don't know what it, I, I don't know about you, Jordan, but my life has gotten very, very busy lately, and even with all the football going on, uh, it's been just kind of difficult to find time. But we did want to find time this week to at least get out a very quick episode, talk about the last weekend of the Premier League before the October international break, which is now upon us, which we will talk about. But before I go any farther, I, of course, want to introduce, well, first, my name is Adam. And before I go any farther, I want to introduce uh, my cousin, Jordan. Uh, Jordan, good evening to you. Hello, hello. I heard you have news about um, our, our fellow podcaster who is not here with us, which is Caleb. So what what's, what's going on with him this week? Okay, so <clears throat> being a Fulham fan and, you know, in direct contact with uh, the the cons, the owners of Fulham Football Club, and his proximate relationship to Jacksonville, Florida. He is the uh, special advisor uh, for the cons with this whole um, Urban Meyer, Dublin, Ohio, groping a co-ed situation that occurred over the weekend. So he is currently down in Jacksonville, Florida, looking over some Tron tracks, uh, trying to see what they what what they could do as owners to get out from under this abysmal uh, deal they have with head coach Urban Meyer, who is owned for uh, going in uh, going uh, going into this week. I don't know what you know about Caleb that makes you think he would be qualified to handle a position a, a situation like this. I know I know a few things about Caleb that would make him qualified to handle a situation like this, but that is good to know that they have called him in. Um, uh, to do that. No, Caleb is, is, uh, uh, actually, I, th- so I think on his way to Jacksonville, Jordan, um, he did stop through Rome, Georgia, um, which I guess has some historical stuff. And he, uh, of course made the post text to our group that he was roaming around. So, um, so yes, he is down in Jacksonville doing that stuff, but I also banned him for a terrible pun. So, um, no, he's. I also <laughs> heard that you that he was that he had a one uh, one pod ban for doing something even nerdier <laughs> than making terrible puns, which was geocaching. Oh, okay. You gotta let's wait on that. I'm gonna let you guys duke that out because I know all about Caleb and his family's history with geocaching. Actually, his dad does a geocaching podcast and is known like the nation over for for this podcast. So. Before you go throw in some shade, just know that his father is actually doing more with his podcast than we are with ours. So, <laughs> I'll, but I'll let well, him explain, and hopefully he's listening. Okay, love you, Gary. All right, all right, Adam. But let's let's be real here. What is what is the likelihood and proliferation of geocaching podcasts versus Premier League review podcasts? We're um, trying to. We're trying. We are definitely small fish in a bigger pond, my friend. True, but he's got more listeners, which I think in raw numbers is is farther ahead than than us. Um, but for those of us who do listen, we certainly appreciate you. Please share this with um, any of your friends and family because word of mouth is certainly helpful, at least until I get off of my lazy ass and create some social media accounts. Um, by the way, that's the, we don't really have that yet, but one benefit of that is that our stuff did not go down this week. Um, because we're not on Facebook or Instagram or anywhere, um, so yeah, there you go. Take that. We we are we are infallible in that department. Um, 
But like I said, we, we wanted to bit something together for you guys this week and, and just kind of recap and, and uh, at least look at the Premier League week that was before we enter the dark period that is an international calendar. Um, and so we will start with the marquee game of the weekend. Of course, everybody knows by now. Uh, Liverpool 2, Manchester City 2, and what a hell of a game that was. I mean, absolute, just end-to-end, so exciting. Well, end-to-end, eventually. It was more on, on one end, but more on that in a minute. But um, I feel like this is this this was the game that people expected or hoped for when Chelsea and Manchester City battled each other the previous week. But um, So it was the battle between two teams that were uh, champions over the past four seasons, and uh, they clashed at Anfield. And it, like I said, it did not disappoint. City, pretty dominant, especially down the left side where makeshift right back James Milner, who was in for the injured Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, was overrun often by a marauding Phil Foden, but they couldn't make the first half possession or chances count, count Manchester City. So it was that man, Mo Salah, who in the 59th minute gave Liverpool the advantage they needed by shifting past Ho- uh, uh, Jao Cancelo, taking off down the left and playing in Sadio Mane, who finished confidently past Ederson. That right side of the defense, though, was the death of Liverpool this afternoon. It finally paid off for City when an over-the-top ball found Foden, who finished low into the far corner in the 69th minute. It was Salah's turn to score with an absolute classic. This is a goal that you will see multiple times this season, and probably at the end of the season in a goal of the season uh, um, um, compilation. A, because it was a great goal. Also because it was a Liverpool goal, and Liverpool fans won't let us forget about it. But the main point is that it was a fantastic goal. He... He skins Bernardo Silva, Bernardo Silva, turns Americ Laporte inside out, and then applies this wonderful finish off of the far post. It really was a fantastic goal. More about Mosala in a minute. I think this game deserved a winner. Um, we did get another equalizer when Foden, who was involved again down the left this time, pulling or down the left this time pulling it back out front, where it falls to Kevin De Bruyne, whose shot is deflected off of Joel Matip and past Allison Liverpool, still without a loss this season. Um, and uh, uh, City managing to uh, to hold on to this one. So um, first, I guess what I would announce or what I would what I would ask to introduce your take on this Met One Jordan is: Does this game cement Liverpool's title credentials? I think there had been some questions going into this season. Obviously, they had they uh, they're like I said, they're still without a defeat this season. Um, they've gone up against Chelsea. And they've gone up against City now, and technically haven't been. Uh, you know, they don't. They don't have any any bad marks on them yet. Um, so, I mean, does this eliminate those questions? Do we still have questions? Are Are, are Liverpool firmly in this title fight now? What do we think? <clears throat> um, Adam, <clears throat> that match was set up to be a just glorious game of football. It was. The sun was the sun was shining in Liverpool. Uh, the cop was in full volume, uh, you know, celebrating the life of Liverpool legend uh, Sir Robert Hunt, who uh, passed right. away. Um, and both managers brought out their <laughs> the, brought out the tactical playbook, opened oh. it up, and just threw what they threw whatever they wanted to out on the pitch. It was glorious. Uh, on Liverpool's side. 
Uh, first off, you have Jordan Henderson basically lining it up, lining up in the hole as the furthest advanced uh, midfielder on that side. Uh, and when uh, you know City broke possession uh, in the midfield, you'd saw Fabinho or uh, Curtis Jones try to pinch out wide with the fullback to trap uh, trap that, uh, that trap that winger out there, and then you know change possession over again. Uh, you saw City with uh, Phil Foden on the left and uh, Jack Grealish in the false nine position. And during the first half, you saw City line up with both uh, both this, both midfielders and attackers about as wide as Liverpool had the splits of their of their center backs, which I thought was interesting. Uh, just uh, you know, in the opportunity to break you know chains possession, uh, you know. You have multiple runners flooding the center of the pitch. Um, Liverpool are in the title challenge, but what's going to hurt them is if they have to continue playing James Milner in a non-substitution role. James Milner Milner has had a long uh, Premier League career, won a title with Manchester City, won a title and won a Champions League with Liverpool. But he is clearly past his prime, and he is a—he will get exposed on the right side, especially with players like Jao uh, Cancelo putting balls over the top to Phil Foden, the Phil Foden, and the like. It was certainly—I mean, you could tell City had were looking at to expose that flank, and you know, in fairness to James Miller, this is not his preferred position. Um, you know, it's more of a of a midfielder, especially at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, with, <clears throat> with Trent Alexander Arnold out, I don't and I don't know for how long. Um, that's a problem, and it you know, it kind of makes me wonder. I, I listened a little bit to um, the halftime coverage uh, from NBC, and Robbie Musto made the point: Look, you've got Samikas. You've got Andrew Robertson. Move Robertson over to the right and put Samikas down that left-hand side. But what also kind of surprised me is that Liverpool, a club of that size and that stature, doesn't have a better replacement for Trent Alexander-Arnold than James Milner. That just seems kind of strange to me. You know, could you have not put Fabinho, for example, maybe in that right-back position? I feel like he'd have done a little, at least a little bit better. I don't know if he quite has the pace, but he's got more pace. But yeah, they really exposed that right-hand side, and it was just kind of surprising. But at the same time, they, they I mean, they were hitting that, that right side of the Liverpool defense just all first half, and they still went into the half scoreless, and then Liverpool opened the scoring. So, you know, it's kind of, well, yes, but it seemed like it, it almost worked out for them in the end because they're the ones who, who put City uh, under more pressure first. But... But to that point about James Milner, so there was a really interesting incident I want to talk about. So Milner, I think in the first half, picked up a yellow card. Uh, in the second half, he's still playing there. Bernardo Silva, I think he goes around another Liverpool player. You know, he's kind of doing his midfield maestro, sort of cutting through the, the defense kind of thing. Dinks the ball past Milner, who's got his leg outstretched and just absolutely takes him out. And it's a it's a bang on yellow card. And Pep is yelling this from the touch from the uh, from the touchline, just incensed that no second yellow card has been given to James Milner. And in fairness to him, yeah, he should have been sent off. Joe Gomez came on very soon after this incident for Milner. Um, Gomez has been having some injury problems lately, so Klopp probably didn't feel like starting him. But um, 
And so, I mean, it's, it's quite lucky Liverpool were to, to finish this with, with 10 men. And I just loved the reaction from Mike Dean, who was the fourth official, <laughs> just sitting back there champing on some gum, just watching Pep have this complete conniption in front of him and not saying anything. It was peak Mike uh, Mike Dean. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but I mean, I think Pep had a case. Um, <clears throat> yes, he did. I believe he did. Uh, it's nice that Robbie Musto has joined the Smeekus train, uh, which I have been the uh, the uh, you know conductor of since the beginning of the season. He's a good player. I, I kind of feel like he is Liverpool's second best fullback at this point, and with the injury to Trent Alexander Arnold and how important the fullback is in, in Liverpool's system in terms of delivering balls uh, into the attacking players in and around the box. Why not move Andy Robertson over and have Smeekus in on his natural left side instead of a player like James Milner or even a Fabinho who does have better pace but is still a more defensive-minded player? Um, Yeah. And and Joe Gomez Gomez didn't do – I mean, he didn't look that great at right back when he came on either. So, yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) – the options are thin. No, and okay, what amazed me about this match, and I'll be honest with you, in my decade plus of watching, or decade of watching the Premier League, pre-match, when they do like the team lineups, the visual graphic, they always show the players in just the standard formation. So like if it's a 4-3-3, the midfielders are always kind of clustered together, just in between the defense and the attack, obviously. Right. It, It was a much needed step forward in in graphic display in my opinion when they lined up with kevin de bruyne sitting in that roving uh forward midfielder role with rodri rodri and bernardo silva clearly further back on the pitch yeah so it's more so the there's been progress in the way that these team lineups are reported they're catching up yeah, with exactly. modern times, right? Yeah, yeah. They like they're they're looking at that. They're not not analytics, but they're looking at you know the the heat maps of where these players are positioned at, and you know adjusting the visuals accordingly. And this will be helpful to you know more uh, n- newer fans of the Premier League. Yeah, wondering so where where is this guy lining up at? Which uh, I thought that was actually a brilliant you know move by City. Because, um, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, for all his injury, uh, you know, uh, injury, uh, you know, injury concerns, he is the bigger midfielder than Bernardo Silva. So having him as the furthest forward uh, midfielder was smart because he could hold off, uh, you know, uh, a Virgil van Dijk or a Joel Matip more successfully than Bernardo Silva could, which you saw, um, you know, with, on that first run he had, where he like where he kind of cut through three players, he needs the he needs the extra room to get you know get his get his pace up, you know uh, you know get the defender running tracking back, and then like able to just to spin around, you know. Yeah, um, Gabriel Jesus once again started, but I feel like they're starting him in a more wider role. City are instead of maybe in the in the center, which might be better for him. But it's just interesting once again that City against a um, you know a bigger team seem to struggle to to find the goal, despite you know the possession and despite the the flowing team moves. You know they're still kind of having 
um, some issues there. So, uh, yes, they got the job done, and obviously they tactically uh, it worked out, but it was just kind of interesting to see. And then to your point about the, the graphics, I remember back in the day when it was surprising to see any Premier League team, other than Arsenal, of course, but it was surprising to see any Premier League team line up ahead of the game that was not a 4-4-2. You'd get you'd get the occasional four four one one, and then of course they started with this four two three one sort of thing, and it was like, whoa, what's this? This is so weird. But I I remember when it was four four twos everywhere, except for Arsenal because you know Arson was I don't know hip or something. He's still always looking for the next best thing. Um, so yeah, so that was that was the big game uh, of the weekend, and um, it uh, actually resulted in Liverpool uh, losing their top of the title status. We'll talk more about that in a minute. One final point, Jordan. Uh, I was going to say, so that most solid goal where he put Bernardo oh. Silva on his butt, then turned American report inside out, yeah, it made him disappear. That was, that was the best approximation to peak Lionel Messi. We will ever see. Um, who is the, is it, is it Rodney Hudson? Uh, who is the, uh, the, the, the English, the Ray, English Ray match, Hudson, uh, Ray Hudson, Ray Hudson. Yeah. If Ray Hudson had been on that call, that would have been perfection because that's what that was. That was Lionel, Lionel Messi level, um, you know, ball movement, changing your, changing the direction of your body with your hips. And then just such change of pace that it just blew every, every defender away. Even, you know, given the close proximity of the players in and around the box. It was absolutely flawless. It's certainly a, a wonderful goal. And like I said, we'll, we'll be seeing that one for uh, for a long time. Um, on to the next one. So this one started out uh, your Premier League weekend last weekend. And another disappointing result for Manchester United. Uh, Manchester United won. Everton won. It looked like a nailed-on win for the Red Devils when just before halftime, Anthony Martial, who? Yeah, that guy. Remember him? He scores his first goal of the season. It's a fine team move that put Bruno Fernandes in on goal. Uh, he shifts it wide to Martial, who turned his shot past, uh, who, well, I mean, he, didn't, he absolutely buries it past Jordan Pickford for the lead and for momentum. It was just before halftime, like I said. Um, Everton did not get a whole lot. In this one, it was a lot of sitting back, a lot of looking for the counterattack, just 28% possession for Everton overall. But they made the most of it on a very, very crucial counterattack in the 65th minute. Demarai Gray cannot talk enough good about him and what he's been for Everton um, in the these first few weeks of the season. Um, basically, a, a, a clearance goes out, he chases it down, he outmuscles Fred, big surprise, uh, to get the ball in midfield, plays in Abdullah Dekure who smartly finds Andros Townsend for the equalizer. Townsend uh, then goes over into the corner where the Everton fans are and does his best Ronaldo celebration in front of them, um, which was kind of an interesting interesting note. Uh, speaking of Ronaldo, he does come on. He did come on as a second-half substitute after his Champions League heroics against Villarreal in the middle of the week, but this time there was no such moment. It is the second straight week that United have struggled to score despite dominating possession and chances, um, that's, that is, I think, five points they have dropped in two weeks uh, in the Premier League. Um, so we'll, we'll cut to the chase here. United fans obviously not very happy about the McFred midfield uh, with Tom and, and Fred in there. Um, 
you've got Van de Beek on the bench, who you could argue really hasn't been given any sort of chance, although he did play against West Ham um, in the Carabao Cup a few weeks ago, and I quote a West Ham fan on Reddit when I say he his, his the comment was, quote, man, this Van de Beek is wank. So maybe he's not such a good player to start, um, whatever that's worth. But you also have Matic sitting there on the bench, an experienced pair of legs there. Um, and I guess I think it's it's just an interesting sort of contrast here. You know, you've got Cavani. Obviously, Rashford's going to come back here pretty soon, but he doesn't really play down the middle. You've got Ronaldo, but you've got the situation in, in the midfield. Um, you know, you could put Pogba in there. He didn't start him, but Pogba's not really that type of midfielder. They'd like him more forward uh, and down that left-hand side. So I just wonder, is it more important for United to get a striker striker, someone who you know can finish off these team moves frequently and consistently, and is not a setup guy, is not somebody who comes back in the midfield like a Ronaldo or or, um, or like a Bruno? Or do they need to sort out this midfield, which to me seems to have too many parts that just don't work together? And I just wonder if it's got to be one or the other or, or what they need to figure out here, because something is something's not happening. Um, <clears throat> I would say there's something rotten in uh, in Denmark if uh, Denmark was Manchester United. Um, <laughs> their midfield is a box of, of ill-fitting parts. Um, I feel like Pogba and uh, Donny uh, Vanderbeek would be better suited in like a four-three-three as like the more advanced two. Yeah with a holding midfielder sitting behind them. But then where does that leave Bruno Fernandez, yeah. who I clearly think his best role is that floating 10. Um, and if, uh, you know, you went with a more attacking 4-3-3, then who would be, you know, the more defensive out of the three with the way Paul Pogba likes to play? Yeah. Um, I think you have to solve your midfield situation. I like Nemanja Matic. Um, but, you know, he is on up there in age. And for the time being, I think you have to start him and then bring someone else off the bench just because uh, if this is the preferred way for Ole to play, I would rather have Matic and McTominay together just for the experience that McTominay is going to have, you know, you know, with someone, you know, with someone of Matic's skill right beside him. Uh, you know, just help him grow into that role and then eventually be, you know, the leader of the defensive midfield, someone to, <clears throat> you know, put out any fires, which it looks like he will become eventually. Um, <clears throat> but that would be my answer to their problem right now. Yeah, he's 33, Matic, which is, you know, I mean, that is up there. You are correct. But, you know, if the role that he plays, I mean, is it super important that he's bombing up and down the pitch like he's, you know, 10 years younger? No, not really. I mean, he could sit in that he could sit in that hole uh, and guard against these counterattacks like we saw from, you know, Andrews Townsend and, and, and Everton. Um, speaking of Andrews Townsend, I know I mentioned Demarai Gray, um, but he is just having, I mean, he's having an absolute stormer for Everton to start this season. He's got three... Three goals, two assists in seven appearances in the Premier League. 
for Everton. <clears throat> um, I think he has a, I think he has an, another couple of goals elsewhere. Um, I want to say in the League Cup, maybe I don't know, but I mean he's he's just he's all over the place. And like I said, you know Everton, they didn't look especially great in this game. I mean they didn't possess the ball a whole lot, and they didn't get too many chances. They had some moments in the first half, but. Um, you know, as the second half went on and as the game went on, it was just more and more united and more and more of this shell around them. Yet, they were able to find this goal. Um, so really, really good, uh, really good job by, by Everton there. Um, probably the experience of having Rafa Benitez as a manager and knowing what to expect at Old Trafford, I'm sure, helps with that. Uh, but Everton have also kind of been that kind of team for United, I think. No, this is this is what Everton Evertonian should expect with Rafa Benitez. Um, he's not he he is not going to you know manage his team to have majority of the possession, but they will be defensively solid, which I felt like has been lacking from Everton for the past couple of years. Um, and you were talking about Andrews Townsend, um, you know, good on him, but I'll be damned if it could happen to a worse person from a Newcastle perspective. Oh my God. Uh, Why? What did, he, what did he do to you? Uh, because he came to Newcastle. Right. Uh, then forced his way out saying he wanted to play a, at a bigger club that ended back, that ended back up at Crystal Palace. And then it fell, it fell back afterwards in, uh, into a, a starting spot at Everton. So it couldn't have happened to a worse person in my opinion. Um, but good on him. It's just interesting. I, I feel like there's been some developments at Newcastle, that, and I feel like your attitude is changing just ever so slightly, and we will talk about that in a minute. But I think a little bit of that is showing um, right now. I have to mention, though, for Everton, uh, Anthony Gordon made his first start for the club, uh, in the Premier League at least, um, and did quite well. Had, a, had a, good, a good outing. I think he's made some substitution appearances this season, but uh, started down the left. So that's, that's one to watch for the future, Anthony Gordon. Um, incredibly, incredibly English name. So, so more to support for United. Another good afternoon for Everton. Uh, later that Saturday evening, we had Brighton taking on Arsenal. Arsenal found their spark. They were back. They were looking great. Arteta's got it's Arteta's team now. Oh, we're we're going and and it ended up goalless. Um, this one was going to answer the question from last week: Were Arsenal just that good, or were Spurs just that bad? And I have some bad news. For Tottenham fans, it was not uh, the first one. But that may be unfair to Brighton, who perhaps deserved to win this game. 58% possession, 21 total shots, compared to Arsenal's eight. Only two of those were on uh, target, though, for Brighton. Um, Let's talk about Brighton for a little bit. I feel like we haven't spent a whole lot of time on them. Obviously, Graham Potter's done a great job. He's been at the club now, I think, for three... This might be his third season, three or four years. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's done well. Uh, and I think, I mean, I know I I expected Brighton was going to struggle this season, um, especially after they lost. Well, I, I didn't expect them to struggle after Ben White. I thought I thought they would struggle even before they they sold Ben White. But then they sold Ben White, and it was like, oh, what's going to happen now? Um, but they look good. They look organized. They look, you know, they're but they're not sitting back. They are going forward. They're building from the back. Um, you know what? Is, I mean, what is it about this Brighton team that just makes them such a force this season? Um, you know, you, uh, I, I feel like, you know, you, you could say that you've not been paying attention to Brighton this season. 
since you know they they still they've been on this incredible run so far of getting results. Um, you know, even a draw against Arsenal was a positive. It's a point oh, sure. for them. You know, uh, definitely positive. They're still do- uh, this team. If I mean, I am fully expecting them to be chasing for a European place till the end of the season if they continue this way. They are a true bright spot this year. You know, growing from the lower end of the table to what they are now with players like you know, uh, Basuma. Trossard, you know, uh, you know Neil Mope, um, even though he's a little bit of a shithead, uh, <laughs> ask Crystal Palace fans, um, ask Brighton fans. I think he's didn't last season. I think he 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 demanded that he take a penalty that Brighton had, and there was some incident where he he missed it, and then he like acted like, "Oh, I'm injured," and <laughs> had himself subbed off. Um, so well, yeah, definitely, definitely possible. Oh yeah, but, that was him. Um, this will, honestly was my favorite match to watch this weekend, other than the Liverpool City match. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, just because of the intensity of the two teams playing. Uh, give credit to Arsenal; they play. I mean, yes, they didn't get you know score a goal, but that was a good side they played against. Uh, Tottenham. Brighton are better than Tottenham. Brighton are probably better than you know West Ham on run of form right now. Easy. Um, like, you know, like the results have been showing, they're a top half into the uh, top half into the table club, and they're really playing like it. So, even though I personally hate Brighton, <laughs> uh, just because uh, over the past decade as a Newcastle fan, every time you know we have a cup draw. Uh, it's always it was always heading down to the Amex, you know, across the country, heading to Brighton, and then ultimately, 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 uh, ultimately losing to Brighton. So, uh, you know, just a little bit of animosity there on my end. But they're they're playing their asses off this season, and Graham Potter Graham Potter has, uh, you know, each player playing up to his potential, and then probably a little bit more. Um, this, I don't know if it has Leicester city championship, you know, qualities, but I do see like that kind of spark. If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, they're sitting in 14 or they're sitting in sixth right now, but they're on 14 points with a whole bunch of other teams. And so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're keeping up. They got one loss this season, Brighton, and it was against Everton. Um, and I think that was kind of early on in the season when people weren't quite sure what Everton were going to be uh, this year, and it was kind of a surprising result. But other than that, they've been lights out. And I'm going to pull a Jordan here um, and just make this prediction. Mark Cucurella, next season, will go to Chelsea. A, he's that good. He's a fantastic left back. B, I think the fact that Marcus Alonso has been preferred so far this season to Ben Chilwell shows that there's a little bit of an issue maybe at the left wing back spot for Chelsea right now. Marcus Alonso is obviously getting up there in age. I think they you bring in Mark Cucurella, you 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 know shake Marcus Alonso's hand, say thank you for your time. You can now go you know to Italy or, or wherever. I think he I think he was at Fiorentina one time in his career. Uh, also at Sunderland at one time in his career, but um, 
And I think Mark Cucurello becomes a Chelsea player. I just, I feel that in my bones. I mean, that's a very solid prediction. Yeah. Uh, because both him and Solly March, uh, Solly Marsh, the young English right back who I mis- mislabeled as American, my oh, bad, okay. <laughs> have, uh, have played, you know, have played very well this season. Um, in the past couple of seasons, you know, we talked about Brighton and their three four three, and just how defensive they were, and it is just a surprise and you know, uh, heart not heartwarming to see that same you know formation just being you know used so much more progressively and further up the pitch, and I enjoy it. Yeah. Um. Uh, we've, we've talked enough about Arsenal this season. Obviously, I think disappointing for them and their fan base that they didn't maybe put a little bit more into this game. But as you mentioned, they were up against a very, very good uh, Brighton team. Um, and I think it was maybe more disappointing from an Arsenal perspective because the next day on Sunday, Tottenham managed to win a game. Uh, Spurs, uh, Tottenham 2, Aston Villa nil. Spurs won their first league game since August. With the gritty performance in North London, it was uh, Pierre Emil Hojberg who opened the scoring in the 27th minute in a new look midfield that was Sans Deli Alley. Interesting. Ollie Watkins equalized in the 67th minute. It's 67th minute. Excuse me, sliding into dispatch Matt Target's low cross, but sadly for Matt Target, who I think has been having a great season so far, he was on the wrong side later as Youngman Son was put clean through on goal. He sent it across for. Uh, Lucas for an easy tap in target slides in first though, and got the unfortunate last touch. So it wasn't an, it was an own goal to Matt target, but it was kind of an impossible situation. I mean, if he didn't touch it in Lucas would have. So, um, really, I, I think, I mean, the difference here seemed to be that Spurs midfield, everything looked so much better. It was more compact. It was more fluid. Um, it looked, it looked a lot better. And that's something that you've been saying, Jordan about this Spurs team is that midfield that just looks so weird. Um, it has, and you know, you could also chalk this victory up to who I think going forward is will be more important to the success of Tottenham than Harry Kane this season. Human song, yeah, my God, he is all over the pitch in terms of you know. Uh, you know, positive attacking uh, uh, play. Uh, you know, he was the one who put that ball to uh, Emil Hoiberg for that goal. Um, you know, making just running his guts off for Tottenham and really being the offensive catalyst for the entire team this season. Yeah, I mean, it, he's, and I think you're going to need that. And I don't mind that, especially in the system. I mean, if we think about. I know we keep going back, but I mean, it's still hard to forget that he was the Wolves manager. But if you think about Nuno at Wolves, one of the most crucial players for him was Adama Traore. Not because he finished off so many attacking moves, because as we've learned this season, he doesn't really do that. But because of the way that he carried the ball forward. And in Youngman's son, you've got a guy who does the same thing, works just as hard, is just as hard to play against, if not harder to play against, plus he can score. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's a... a Bigger role for him to play. It takes the pressure off of Harry Kane um, uh, and and gives a new dimension to the Spurs team. 
and I think can be the difference in games like this where they need that little bit extra, the little bit of extra effort. Um, speaking of Harry Kane, just kind of interesting note. Um, before this one, Tottenham played against Ines Mura, who I think are Slo- Slovenian uh, in the Europa Conference League, and Harry Kane scored a hat trick. It's a five-one win. So, so uh, just saying. You know, back back in the day, back before Harry Kane was Harry Kane, and he was still a, a Tottenham young a youngster coming through the ranks. His first big break did come in the Europa League for Tottenham. So I'm just wondering if maybe those goals and some positive play in the Conference League could get us to see Harry Kane coming back. And with Youngman's son on fire and with Harry Kane, it's hard to see this Tottenham team continuing to struggle. At least that is what their fans would hope for. I'm glad Nuno, um, you know, ha- you know, has full control over the squad without uh, Mr. Levy, you know, really trying to influence uh, him by dropping Deli Alley because the Deli Alley, you know, fit into you know Nuno's style and you know preferred formations. It just hasn't been working so far, yeah. and you know you, you needed you you needed a change, and I was glad to see that he made it and was you know rewarded for it. Yeah, definitely. It was it was um, Imo, uh, Hojberg, Oliver Skip, and Ndombele in sort of a, a three-man midfield. And so I think that really kind of solidified defensively. Um, just I know, just gave him a good base. I, I liked it a lot better. It was much better from Spurs. Um, and so the last game I think we're going to cover really in-depth, because like I said, it's a little bit of a shorter uh, podcast this week, but a bit more of an amended version. But I do have to talk about it because I watched it. I think Caleb watched it. Uh, some of it, and I know you watched it, Jordan. Um, and I'm sorry about this, but we'll talk. There's, 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 there's some bad news, good news for ta- for Newcastle um, this this week. We'll start with the bad news: Wolves two, Newcastle one. He Chan Wang, who is on loan, I think, from Red Bull Leipzig. Um, he struck up a partnership with a reinvigorated Raúl Jiménez to sink Newcastle at Molyneux in just the 20th minute. The pair combined to give Wolves. A 1-0 lead thanks to Wang's low finish from a slick Jimenez pass. Toon fans, though, were... Well, okay. Start with this. Toon fans were cursing their luck when a little bit later they saw Joe Willick had to leave the field early thanks to injury, and uh, he was replaced by none other than former Burnley man Jeff Hendrick. But you know what? He came up, he came up big about five minutes later with a thunderous strike that was somewhat controversial but only if you're a Wolves fan. I'll explain more about that in a minute. Um, sadly, though, it did not matter. Jimenez and Wang combined once again, almost the exact same way to put Wolves ahead in the 58th minute. Um, they did not look back. It is the third win for Wolves in the Bruno Lage era. They have not drawn a single game either. It's like three wins and I think four defeats. Um, Newcastle still winless, but there may be some hope on the horizon, which we will talk a little bit about in a minute. Um, so we've got a couple of things to talk about here, but Jordan, just first as a Newcastle fan, you watched this game. What were your feelings after the game? You know, I would say disappointment, but I've become jaded to, uh, you know, being let down by Steve Bruce led Newcastle, especially when you're playing so many players out of their position. Um, you know, Matt Ritchie and Jacob Murphy are not fullbacks. Um, Alan St. Maxim for all his, you know, glorious running and dribbling is not a striker. Um, but what was funny to it, honestly, this match was kind of funny to me just because we saw both teams 
in the way they line up and the preferred style of play at this point, being afraid of the ball and neither team really wanting possession because even though Bruno Lodge is not a Nuno Espiritu de Santo, um, Wolves still kind of plays on the counter and look their strongest when they're able to break with, uh, you know, Smedo, uh, you know, running down the wing, you know, or a long ball up to Trincao or uh, Heewain uh, chain. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, yeah, he chained Wayne, you know, breaking on a counter, then sliding, sliding the ball to Raul Jimenez. It was just funny to see both teams being afraid to play with the ball in possession. <laughs> and it was funny. I think it was funny that both of the Wolves' goals were essentially the exact same goal. Jimenez got the ball. He he gets past a Newcastle player, at least one of them. I think maybe the second one he got past a couple. Then plays Wang through, and it was just right in the goal. I mean, the exact same thing both times. But I want to talk about the Newcastle goal for a minute because, and just to preface this, I thought this was perfectly fine. But Wolves fans were a bit upset about it. So the ball goes forward. Joe Linton and Saw sort of come together. Um, Jose Saw, the, the Wolves goalkeeper. And Saw kind of stays down, and he's sort of holding, like, I, I think it was his chest or maybe near his near his shoulder. Um, and and he's he's you know kind of rolling around, doing the thing, you know, that happens when players are injured. The play keeps going. And Saw kind of looks up, sees the referee's not stopping anything. And so he gets up, and he's like, running back toward his goal. And so the ball goes out to Jeff Hendrick and credit to Hendrick because I think most players in this situation, when they get the ball, so, so he gets the ball from the left, he's facing the goal. And I think most players will try and open up their body and sort of see if they can't guide it into the far, into the far side away from the goalkeeper toward where the goalkeeper is running to. But a lot of times you open yourself up, you lose power and you lose some accuracy because you're, you're trying to readjust your body position Hendrick just hits it, and he goes low, and he goes hard, and he goes toward that near post. And so Saw's wrong-footed, and he, you know, it was close to him, but he still couldn't get it. And so I credit Jeff Hendrick; he puts the ball in the perfect place. But Wolves and and, and Jose Saw, and they're I think actually Bruno Lodge gets a, a yellow card for arguing about this, but they're basically saying, look, he was down, he was injured, but this was fine. There was nothing wrong with this. It wasn't a foul. There's two reasons a referee can stop can stop the game immediately, and it, it is not that the goalkeeper is injured. He stops the game immediately. Number one, if there's a foul, so if there was a foul on Jose Saw, he'd have called it. Didn't see that. Didn't call the foul. Number two, if it were a head injury, so if if Saw had had been down and you know was holding his head or something like that, then the referee would have been forced to stop the game, which would have stopped the Newcastle attack. But it wasn't a head injury. It wasn't a foul. Sorry. You, you you continued the play. There's no reason to stop the game, and I think people sometimes forget that. Um, and and credit to the referee for not giving in to the the goalkeeper favorability that we see a whole lot. But I thought that was perfectly fine. It was perfectly yeah. fine because uh, Joel Linton had a play on the ball when it came in, and uh, you know their, his collision with Saw um, was was a legitimate play on the ball by both players. Yeah. Um, you know, just because he took the brunt of, you know, you know, Jolinton's leg to his chest and knocked the wind out of him. It wasn't a head. It wasn't a head injury because he was his, his, his body, his, his upper body was still up when he went into that, uh, you know, challenge. Yeah. And it wasn't a foul because both players could make a play on the ball. Um, so 
Yeah, no, I was completely fine with it. Uh, and it was honestly funny to see Bruno Lage get the yellow card because he was just so <laughs> de- demonstrative for no reason. Well, I wouldn't say no reason. If I Listen, if I were him in that situation and my goalkeeper were injured and down like that, I would argue the same thing. I really would have. Um, in fact, I thought it was kind of funny because, to be honest, if Jose, if Jose Saw had not gotten up, if he had stayed down and acted like he was injured, he would have put the referee in a really difficult position. But because I see the referee, he kind of he kind of looks at him and he he puts his whistle up to his mouth and he's not going to blow it. But I think he's just looking at the situation, wondering, okay, what do I do here? And then Saw gets up, and so for the referee, it's like, okay, play on. Like there's no issue here. Nobody's injured. It almost it would have been it would, there would have been a bigger question had he stayed down. So I'm a little surprised that he that he got up. Um, but I mean, I, I still think it was the right call, and I still do think that had. Jose Saw stayed down, and Hendrick scored, I still think it would have been a fine goal, because, you, again, like you said, Joe Linton had a play on the ball. It was at at least a 50-50, and that's just the way the game goes. You know, you don't get to have um, the play stop just because you're injured. Um, so, unfortunately, the, the result was bad news for Newcastle. However, there has been some good news from, from the perspective of Newcastle fans, um, at least somewhat, I think, probably. And Jordan, Jordan, I will let you explain that a little bit, but essentially it has something to do with the potential takeover of the club by a rich sugar daddy. By a very rich sugar <laughs> daddy, Adam. I'm talking the public investment fund, yeah. PIF for short. Of the Piff. Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. What do you call it? Piff. Now, Piff from now on. Piff. Sure. Uh, now, part of the concern and the reason why this has kind of actually gone to the court was the Premier League originally blocked the transfer of ownership from Mike Ashley to a consortium fronted by Amanda Staveley, but the primarily backed by the by the by the Piff, right? Uh, the Saudis, because. Yeah, because the because the Premier League did not uh, did not uh, are hesitant uh, and still are hesitant at how much control the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia will have over the football club. Right, and um, it was actually uh, there is going to be an arbitration hearing in January about okay. this if the you know takeover does not go through. But what kind of what what kind of greased the wheels for this change in? Uh, in outlook in the past 24 hours is the fact that the four year uh, squabble between uh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Qatari backed, uh, you know, network be in uh, is over. They've come to an agreement, um, which is crucial because be in, in the middle East is the home of premier league matches. So uh, part of the concern was the kingdom of Saudi Arabia was pirating uh, you know, copyrighted, uh, you know, television broadcasts from the official provider of I the Premier League this. in that region. Yes. So that has gotten cleared up in the past 24 hours. And on my Twitter timeline, there are a lot of blue check people, uh, all, all sports journalists, but there's a lot of blue checks out there saying that this is basically put the gas on the takeover and potentially within 24 by tomorrow within 24 hours Newcastle United will have new ownership 
It'll be a consortium led by Amanda Stavely, I believe, but will be backed by the public inve- by the by the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia. So this we so by the time that we start Premier League football back up next weekend, obviously we have an international weekend. Newcastle could have new owners. We could have new owners. Wow. We could have a new manager. Um, I'm looking at. I hear um, Gisco's available. Uh, no, not not Cisco. <laughs> uh, I was thinking more of a um, oh god, Zinedine Zidane okay. because he is still out of a job. Uh, he's got a dreamy call, and he is a pragmatic manager who gets results. Uh, bring me the enigmatic uh, Frenchman. Um, you know, Erling Holland didn't move during the summer. <laughs> Maybe he moves in January. Oh my God! And Kylian Mbappe might be on a free. So that's true. It's all looking aces for Newcastle at this point. But I will legitimately say that my optimism is hovering somewhere around like the seventy to eighty percentile. It's pretty high. Um, yeah, a lot higher than the prior, you know, prior summer, just because of how long like that process has dragged out. You know, such a long takeover, and it just kind of seems like, you know, Mike actually is going to the playbook of, hey, you know, uh, I got owner, I got potential new owners of the line. I'm not going to reinvest in the club right now, but there will be new ownership. That that play's been run over and over and over. So, you know, the longer, like, negotiations would last, my, you know, optimism would wane. But with, you know, this quick of a turnaround – I'm sitting pretty high. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there, uh, and there's already articles about this, and there was articles about this last summer about, you know, sports washing, and is it, that, is it morally right that the an investment arm of a, of a foreign nation, you know, can earn the, you know, earn, you know, the state goodwill abroad by you know owning a sports team when in recent you know in the recent half decade uh they have done some what uh some human human rights violation you know specifically the civil war with yemen and then the kamal uh khashoggi incident human rights violations Uh, some might call that murder (laughs) some some might uh, i'm gonna stick with the generic term human rights violations um and you know, if I was a if I was you know a truly you know uh, more introspective human being, I would be concerned by that. But with the you know with the past decade of new of Mike Ashley's ownership, I don't care who buys us at this point. Yeah. Well, I think there's yeah, there's been a lot of hand wringing I mean, over this. I, but I, I, mean, I think this has been tough for Newcastle fans because it's it's you basically you're being asked to choose between uh, you know, a a questionable regime with questionable motives, with some potential dark money practices. You don't really know where all the money's going and some 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 words of human rights abuses, um or choosing the Saudis. So it's kind of a you know it's it, it's a it's you're between a rock and a hard place. Um, no, I l- let me. I've got some, I've got an interesting perspective on this. I'll, I'll just say real quick. So many years, or I would say many years ago, a few years ago, um, there was word that 
basically the crown prince Ben Salman um, wanted to buy Manchester United, and I think this was back when Jose was still there, um, and you know there was all these rumors that oh he's going to go in there and he's going to you know try and make basically make Manchester United a rival of 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 City of city in that regard of oil money. And he's just going to bankroll the club and, and do all this stuff. And of course that was very soon after the whole Khashoggi thing. Um, and, 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 and that incident, and I was still working at the, you know, the newspaper at the time, I was still a journalist. And, you know, regardless of that fact though, I, I couldn't hearing that and thinking, what if this happens? I was like, I don't know if I can truly reconcile this. I don't know if I can still be a fan with if this ownership were to come in and knowing what they've done and, and, you know, because that's my profession. That's my, you know, it, it hit, just hit a, a lot too closer to home. I think this is a little different. It's not the crown prince per se. I understand that it's still his family's money. But it's not necessarily him like controlling things or running the club or importing somebody to run the club. It's a little different. And so but I, I do think people are maybe kind of making that comparison and that's that's where their their issue is. But I do recognize that this is a little different than that rumor that turned out to not be true. So for what it's worth that's my take. I mean, it, it, if it happens, it happens. And I mean, just like when when city fans had, you know, their takeover. I mean, all you can do as a fan is be happy and wish for the well being of the club. There's no, there's. I mean, that's all you can do, right? So I mean, I I, I don't know. I I I understand the the hand wringing, but at the same time, there's just so much else that you could. The I mean, if you're gonna freak out about that. I mean, there's so much else you could freak out about. You know, it's just double standards, yeah. And more importantly, to the people that are doing the hand-wringing, I would say that if you look deep enough and you look hard enough, you will find something problematic with everything that, you know, uh, is involved in a modern society. Yeah. So either you would be end up just truly hating yourself for participating in it, or you would just be so jaded that you don't care. Yeah. Um, and just be a completely joyless person. So, yes, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not truly. I'm not. You know, happy that you know Newcastle United will will be the the the, the sporting face of you know the, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, but at the same time, I'm ecstatic because I know that the PIF is going to be used to invest in my club, and you know prov- provide me some the, the little hope I have. Yeah, you know the little hope the, the little hope and joy I derive from sitting down on a Saturday morning in Sherman, Texas, in front of my big screen TV, watching a club that I've developed a connection with over a decade that's thousands of miles away from me. Yeah. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. I, I'm, I'm, now I'm super interested because I didn't know it could be, it could be happening that quickly. So we'll, we'll definitely, uh, in the next 24 hours, um, we'll see 
where that lands. Um, we're running up on time a little bit here, so I want to get through the rest of these results real quick and then talk about what we got coming up in the international break. Uh, so just real quick, the also-rans, Chelsea 3, Southampton 1. Um, so Chelsea returned to the top of the table with that win at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Leeds 1, Watford 0. We'll talk a little bit more about, about that in a minute. Crystal Palace 2, Leicester City 2. Um, again, Leicester City just not quite able to get there despite the fact that they are scoring goals and then, um, West Ham 2, Brentford 1. Okay, uh, that was all. Um. Uh, real quick on the uh, Chelsea-Southampton, just a little yes. quick hit. Uh, we're going to go in order. Um, Southampton, I thought, well, uh, I thought uh, well-played match in the first half. You know, uh, convert, James Ward-Prowse converted the penalty uh, to give them their first goal. But then at the same time, uh, in the second half, undone by James Ward-Prowse in that harsh tackle he had yeah. on um, – uh, uh, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on the name, Adam. Who was that tackle on? I, I don't know, but um, it was I, – I can't remember who it was, but it, it – yeah, it was – yeah. So, I mean, basically, basically, basically great in the first – you know, great great early on, but, yeah, it certainly cost them. Yeah, undone by – you know, uh, undone by James Wood-Prowse, which is such a shame because he's such a good player. It was just an unfortunate tackle he yeah. made a little bit reckless. Um, yeah. Uh, Leeds won Watford nil. That basically was the end of Gisco. Um, he was sacked by Watford after that. Um, I was pretty upset about that. I, you know, Watford have had so many managers. I, I can't even count. Um, I mean, this is just the way that they, that, that ownership does business. You know, they just, they sack managers, they bring them in and it's just a constant revolving door. But even considering that, I thought this was very harsh. I think Watford have done quite well this season. I thought Shishko had the team playing well. They're on seven points. They're in 15th. I mean, it wasn't too bad. However, very happy to see Claudio Ranieri uh, return to the Premier League. He was announced as the replacement for Shishko at Vicarage Road. So we will get to see him uh, when Watford play next after the break. So the Tinkerman is back. Glad to see the Tinkerman back. Uh, Disappointed for uh, uh, Cisco. Uh, I thought, you know, the develop the the pairing of Emmanuel Dennis and Saar on the wings was going to pay dividends for Wool or for Watford this season, and I would love to see how that played out under his management. But um, glad to see uh, Ranieri back. Yeah, uh, you know, he ha- he had that one magical season with Leicester City, but boy, it was a season. Yeah, um, and I mean, he's he kind of set Chelsea up in a way. Um, back before Mourinho took over in 2004. So, I mean, he's he's got Premier League experience, and um, you know, he's I know he's got a got a bit of a checkered checkered past in terms of management, but he does have that Premier League title uh, under his belt. So, good luck to to uh, uh, the Tinker Man. Dilly ding, dilly dong. Uh, on to uh, Palace to Leicester two. It was nice to see uh, Leicester uh, taking the direct route with uh, Kelechi Iheanacho and Jamie Vardy and just going straight over the top. It was nice to see uh, Brendan Rodgers, you know, change change the way they play. Uh, but just, you know, a little bit unfair, I would say, that they got the draw against, you know, uh, a, you know a sprightly Crystal Palace team. Um, call it Connor Gallagher, man. That kid's going to be a player, and it's unfortunate that he's going to be a player for Chelsea in the next couple of seasons. Uh, he is just so dynamic. The way that Chelsea do their their youth players, he may not be a Chelsea player, even though he is quite dynamic. That Chelsea midfield, very, very full at the moment. I don't see any signs of it 
of that changing. But yes, Connor Gallagher, um, quite a talent. And then just real quick, I mean, you know, for West Ham, it was just kind of disappointing to give up an early goal, um, you know, equalized through Jared Bowen later. It was looking great. And then just gave up a late goal against Brentford. I was kind of upset at Brentford because they, they played kind of a, the shithouse room was real. We'll just put it that way. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, hard tackles and time wasting, and there was a ton of stoppage time. And then it went over that stoppage time because, Brentford just kept, again, laying just uh, – it was just terrible. And then for them to get the winner, it was just kind of shitty. Um, but I'm told that as a West Ham fan, this is actually quite common. Um, one thing that is concerning, though, is this is the second straight defeat after a Europa League game in the midweek that West Ham has suffered. It was Manchester United the first time around, now Brentford. So I had to work on that, um, that turnaround. Um, but anyways. Uh, uh, in that match, it was, of course, fun to see uh, future Man City striker Ivan Tony do Ivan Tony things. He's no, it just, wasn't fun for me, but yeah. Uh, and no, it was fun for me. It okay. was fun for me, for sure. Uh, the goal by Embueno at the la- at the dying moment, uh, you know, just incredible at, uh, you know, at, at Brentford's home. Um, what was concerning for me, though, as a West Ham, as, uh, as, as a neutral, and then for you as a West Ham supporter, uh-huh. was their lack of possession. Uh, you know, given, given that they had a, you know, five-man midfield versus, you know, really just two midfielders for Brentford because they play in that, you know, that, uh, three, four, uh, you know, that three, five, two, uh, with, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, it was the lack of possession was concerned. It would be concerning for me if I'm a West Ham fan. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm, I'm just really, I, I come away impressed by Brentford every time they play. Uh, they 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 kind of have a Sheffield United of a couple seasons ago feel, yeah. you know, when they just came up and the Blades were you know young and fresh in the Premier League and they were not taking guff from any team um, and were you know giving games to a lot of people, and I think that's what Brentford's doing this season. So, uh, you know, if things shape out like they're going to at the bottom end of the table, we could possibly see a uh, Brentford Fulham, uh, you know, another London Derby, Brentford versus Fulham, and just see our friend Caleb and Knotts next season. Uh, but who knows? Yeah. Um, now on to the international stuff, Adam. No, 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 no. We got the table. Table. So, so quick table update, real quick. Um, so with that win, Chelsea go top. Um, above Liverpool on 16 points. Liverpool with 15. City in third with 14 points. And Manchester United rounding out the top four also with 14 points. Uh, Again, also on 14. Everton, and like we mentioned earlier, uh, Brighton uh, with 14 points in sixth. Brentford are up to seventh after that win. They got 12 points. Tottenham just behind them with 12. West Ham dropped to ninth on 11 points. Aston Villa with 10 uh, in 10th. And then Arsenal... Well, they were on the top of the table last week, but uh, it was fun while it lasted. They are in 11th now uh, on 10 points. It's Wolves, Leicester, Crystal Palace, Watford, Leeds, Southampton, and then a bottom three of Burnley, Newcastle, and Norwich. Newcastle in the relegation zone as of now. However, like we said, that uh, the news is changing. That this the the tide is, seems to be the tide seems to be turning on Tyneside, so we will see about that. Uh, Southampton, Burnley, Newcastle, and Norwich, the only team so far uh, without a win. Although I didn't mention this, uh, Norwich nil, Burnley nil. That is another result that happened this weekend, and so it was the first point for Norwich this season. They had six straight losses um, before that. So that's your table. 
yes, international break time. So this is uh, the time of the year where we see uh, our international teams taking the field. Um, and this is an English football podcast, so we're going to talk about England a little bit, uh, and then we will go on to the United States games. Uh, but for England, uh, so it's two games over the course of the next week. Uh, they are currently top of, the, of Group I, four points ahead of Albania. Um, remember, in Europe, the top spot goes in the second spot, um, goes to a playoff. Um, so Saturday, October the 9th, they are at Andorra. That's a 2.45 p.m. Eastern time kickoff, and that is available for you on ESPN+. And then on Tuesday, England face Hungary at Wembley, also at 2.45 p.m. Eastern time. I don't know if there's a channel for that. I suspect you will see um, that on television. Usually, I think ESPN will put them on like ESPN2 or something. I, just didn't, I, did, I didn't see where they were playing yet. Um, uh, it's, the, it's the away games that are usually on ESPN+. Um, so that's England. Uh, like I said, playing on Saturday and on Tuesday. United States currently third in CONCACAF qualifying. They have three. Um, so in the in CONCACAF qualifying, um, there are three three of the... They, <laughs> tongue-tied, sorry. They're in third. The top three will go to the World Cup. The fourth place uh, is in a playoff spot. So the United States sitting just above fourth place in that third spot at the moment. Um, they play Jamaica at home. I'm not sure what stadium, but they play Jamaica at home uh, on October the 7th, uh, so that's tomorrow, Thursday. Um, it's a 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. That's uh, on ESPN2, and I think ESPN Plus is going to do some coverage um, of that one as well. So uh, USA-Jamaica on Thursday. On Sunday, the United States goes to Panama, um, 6 p.m. Eastern on Paramount+. Plus. That's on October the 10th, and then on Wednesday, October the 13th, they uh, come home to face Costa Rica, 7 p.m. Eastern, and that is going to be on ESPN2. So three games, three tough games, I think, for the United States coming up um, uh, this season, or, or this international break for World Cup qualifying. Fingers crossed, three wins. Uh, um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, out of this three-game stretch, um, you know, Going and having a home match versus, you know, uh, Jamaica and Costa Rica. I think the United States is going to handle themselves very well in those two matches. But the most crucial one will be the away match against Panama on the 10th. Um, you know, we're tied with Panama in, Con in CONCACAF qualifying standings right now at five points apiece. It would be crucial for us to get a win in Panama and distance ourselves from them just like it would be crucial for uh, some some high-powered politicians to dis distance themselves from the Panama Papers. But unlike those politicians, I think the U.S. men's national team actually has a chance of doing so. Boo. <laughs> uh, really? You're okay, gonna, the, 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 the journalist is going to boo me about a Panama Papers joke. I thought you were going to make a reference to like Van Halen or something. No. Why would I make a why would I make a reference to 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 Van Halen when the when the Panama paper don't they much don't they sing the song Panama? They do. Okay. But yeah, that's all right. That's, I, I thought, that's the better. Yeah. It's too political. Um So yeah, so no, very uh very important games coming up for the United States, um, especially in any trip to Central America, just like I said, just it, it, it scares me. But 
I do have faith in this U.S. team. They seem to have turned a corner. So, uh, so that's it. That is it. Well, actually, uh, real quick, just a quick update for uh, the top shelf picks. Um, we did slightly better this past weekend than we did the weekend before. So if you remember the weekend before, we had absolutely zero points. Um, this time we at least got a couple of points. Uh, so we all missed on the Manchester United Everton results. Uh, nobody predicted a draw, and it, that did end in a draw. Uh, Brighton and Arsenal, only two of us picked a draw. And that was uh, me, so I got the one point, and then Caleb also got a point. And then Liverpool, Manchester City, um, none of us said that it was going to be a 2-2 draw. So, um, with that, Caleb is still top with 11 points. Uh, Jordan, you're still second with 8, but I am now right behind you um, with 7 points. (sighs) That's turning out to be a lot more difficult than I thought. Yeah. Um, this has been tough. Maybe we need to re we need to stra- re- we need to strategize better with the games that we pick. Um, no, I, I kind of like the games we pick um, just because you know when you're when you're making pretend bets, you might as well go all out. Um, <laughs> and I'm just kind of disappointed in you that you. I'm just aghast that I laid a perfectly good Panama Papers joke out there and you just, just well, nothing. Um, the, you know, there was I, a lot I of buildup and I, and it was, it was just, yeah. so kind of like, kind of like, uh, West Ham and Manchester United at the last weekend, a lot of buildup and then this, uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All uh, right that's, that's, that's our show for, uh, for this week, international break time. Uh, a chance to get caught up with maybe some of your favorite lower league England teams. There's a lot of that going on. We'll talk more about that in the next show. Um, as uh, as we look for really any English football content to fill this show, because like I said, this is an English football podcast. Um, thank you, Jordan, for joining me this midweek. And without further ado, let's go eat some pies. Let's go eat some pies. Let's get some real pies sometime. Take care, everybody. We will see you next week. <laughs>